Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. Ken also has owned his own construction company for over 30 years. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here each week at this time to answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson. Don't forget, a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at our contact number, 800 614 2975, or email your questions to the website, kenthecontractor.com. I know from time to time we may raise the question, I know Jim and I talk about this too, are our homes outsmarting us? Are they becoming too smart for us to control and operate? And I'll tell you, the technology that's available to, do, to us today makes our lives easier. It make things, makes things more comfortable for us, and certainly it makes many items much more convenient. But what we're finding, for some of us, we're saying, maybe it's too far, but I want to tell you the trends right now would prove those of us that say that absolutely wrong because high-tech has moved full speed ahead this year into the bathrooms. You're saying, what in the world can you do in a bathroom? It serves a basic purpose. You know, there are some functions that, that they, they serve, and you got to take place, and that's it. You can't do any more. Well, let me talk a little bit about some of the high-tech issues today and tell you that for those that are my age and maybe Jim's age, we see the bathrooms differently, but the Generation Y that has been raised with computer technology are the folks that are taking the high-tech into every living space in our homes, whether it's bathrooms, kitchens, living room, right down into the entertainment area in the basement and outdoors into the backyard and the patio. When it comes to bathrooms, trends we're seeing across the country, and I saw that at the International Builders Show, we're seeing plumbing manufacturers and high-tech manufacturers really cater especially to bathrooms and then I'll say secondly to kitchens. And that's what we'll talk a little bit about today, some of the gadgets and things that are available. And I'll tell you, not all of these are going to be right for all of us. For some, it's just going to be sort of fun to see what's out there if you have an extra $5,000 to burn at some point. For others, I think it's really a matter of us seeing where are the trends, what are we going to see in housing, what can we expect to see from the building community, the architects, the engineers, and the interior designers. But gadgets have moved into the bathroom big time. And as I said, Generation Y is the group that really is driving this right now. They've grown up with the technology. They're accustomed to it. And as they are in home buying mode from an age standpoint, now we're seeing this technology take over. Some items that you have seen recently that are now fairly common are, for example, touchless faucets. Now, these are faucets you simply they operate on a motion sensor, put your hand under, the water comes on, the water goes off. Some are battery-operated, some are line voltage, meaning they're plugged in to the power source and then tied into the water. Also, we're seeing toilets that open when you approach them and close when you walk away. Toilet seats uh, with built-in bidets. We're seeing programmable thermostats that let you set preferences for temperatures, timing, water pressure, and so much more. And, Jim, this is one I know you like. You've seen recently medicine cabinets with built-in televisions. Yeah, uh, that and the uh, 
the different ways that you can turn your mirror into a TV and uh, the ways you can change the glass with a touch. It has an electrical charge in it, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's all built into the glass. And, and, and these are things that are there today. If it's in your pocketbook and in your imagination, you can bring it into every room of the house and these specialty items certainly into the bathrooms. We talked about this on a show previously where we're seeing music in shower heads and in tubs. And the heated floor tile systems that have been around for a couple of decades now are being enhanced to do more things and to be controlled remotely. So, But I want to tell you that this Generation Y is not the only one that's really into this. What we're seeing are consumers across the nation are embracing some parts of this, not because of the technology, but because in many cases it adds better hygiene, just like the hand washing in terms of reducing germs on your hands. If you have a touchless faucet to come off and on, you're not picking up germs and bacteria that may be on the faucet itself, especially if you're moving into food prep or things that are critical when it comes to bacteria. We're starting to see more digital technology also. Even our showers are being pre-programmed or programmable at this point for times to come on, setting temperature to remember the temperature that you like to have, not having to adjust it manually. Now, we're also seeing folks spend more money on bathroom renovations this year. The average bathroom remodel project is costing somewhere in a ten dollars to $11,000 range based on all the NHB numbers we saw in 2011. And also that's substantiated by uh, some numbers put together in studies by the Joint Center for Housing Studies of Harvard University. Now we can go on from there and we can say that people are, are typically looking to get a return on an investment. But when it comes to bathrooms, this study shows we only get maybe 62% back on that investment, but we're still willing to spend this kind of money. And the reason we are, frankly, is because we enjoy these features. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of it as long as it works for our budget. I don't want to see anybody go in debt and go broke over this. But if it's one of those frills you enjoy, don't worry about the payback. Go spend the money. Enjoy the features throughout your home. This is what we're seeing nationwide, folks. These are some of the trends. Now, I want to talk a moment about some other items related to just the bathroom fixtures themselves and what you can expect to see. And as I said, it might not be right for everybody's pocketbook, but there are some newer systems that are catching on. For most of us, if we've ever had an opportunity to be in a steam bath or steam shower and you liked it, maybe you were at a retreat someplace and one was available, and you say, hey, that was great. I'd like to have one in my house, but I can't spend ten dollars or $15,000 for something like this. Home versions of these are being produced now. One is called iSteam. It's being produced at a very affordable level for most households. And instead of spending the ten dollars or $15,000, you're down well below $5,000 in most cases, in some cases below $3,000. So you need to ask about these products if a steam shower is something you have interest in, something you like. Now it may be affordable for just about everyone. Some of the new toilets that are out there, Jim, and I said, if you got big bucks, this will excite you. I don't think that you or I have ever thought about spending $6,390 for a toilet. You know, that's more than I paid for my first car, <laughs> not a toilet. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. No, probably not in your house or no. in mine. But Kohler saw this at the Builder Show. Kohler has a product called Numi, N-U-M-I. It's completely digital, has touch-free remote, dual flush that uses less water for liquid versus solid, has a built-in bidet with temperature control that also dries and sanitizes, has a heated seat and built-in music, fits a standard toilet rough in anywhere so you don't have to pull the floor apart to get it in place. So for those of you with an extra $6,390, no rough in changes needed. All you need to do is rush out, 
Drop that kind of money on a new uh, Kohler NUMI unit, and it's all yours for sixty-three ninety. That's the average retail price. And then there are others. Toto, T-O-T-O, which is a huge manufacturer of plumbing fixtures for bathroom, has other items out. They have a washlet and e-water system, as they call it. So it's just under four inches in height. This is a heated seat in round or oval shapes that fits over your existing toilet. So now you don't have to replace it. It automatically opens and closes and provides instant warm water wand cleaning, heated drying and deodorizing and pre-misting of the toilet bowl. I'm telling you, you can't think of much more. It has touchpad controls and it has settings for two users. Okay? This is family friendly. Only $1,700. So for those of you who said, I don't have $6,300, 17 will work for you. These are some items going on in your bathroom. Coming up next on this edition of Ken the Contractor, Ken will be answering your questions. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. Along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Britt. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. Or you can email your question to the website, KenTheContractor.com. And that's exactly what Calvert has done. Calvert listens to us on WIZM 1410 AM in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And Calvert, we appreciate your question. You're telling me that you're constructing a small addition on the back of the house. You're also, like most of us, say, I'm on a tight budget. The electrician asked me if I want to use aluminum wire instead of copper to save money. Now, you go on to say here that you've also been told that there have been issues with aluminum wire in the past. Is this the right area to reduce cost? Calvert, I'm glad you asked the question. I'm going to tell you the short and simple is this is the wrong area to reduce cost in my experience and in my professional opinion. I would never, under any circumstances, use aluminum wire for secondary distribution within a home or an office building, for that matter. What the industry discovered back in the 70s were too many problems, and you've heard about some of these, it sounds like, became realities. The possibility of electrical shorts occurring on switches and outlets, wires overheating because aluminum conducts electricity and heat or the heat from it at a different rate. It creates it at a different rate than copper does. The expansion and contraction of aluminum versus copper is much greater. That has a tendency to cause connections on your outlets and switches to come loose, even if they're the type today that just poke in the back. They heat, they expand, they shrink, they contract, and then they pop loose. These are some of the issues. But bigger issues had to do with the even the electrical services, which it's still not uncommon to use aluminum on electrical services today, but it can be a problem if you're not using compression lugs. So the bottom line is I would stay with copper. Find some other areas to tighten your budget, but use copper wiring on whatever you're doing as far as your primary distribution switches, outlets, and service. Let's go to the phone lines right now, Ken, and joining us right now is Charles at 800-614-2975. Charles, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hello, how you all doing today? Good, good day. How are you? Fine. I have a question. that okay. uh, We purchased an older house that was built in 59, and it has a propane furnace, and also the, uh, the AC unit sets outside. And these, both of these units were, uh, built in 1989. Okay. And we were thinking about replacing them. I know the AC unit is a three ton and the, uh, propane furnace, gas furnace is 120,000 BTU. And I was just wondering if it'd be cost effective to go ahead and replace those. 
Well, I tell you, you're going to spend some money on the front side, but coming from 1989, this equipment is like the computer technology. It's, it's antiquated, even if it works, as far as energy efficiency goes. Right. And you'll find today, when you look at the high cost of your propane fuel, especially that if you're going to replace this with a, a high-efficiency unit, which yeah. will be a 90% plus efficiency unit, that, one, you don't have to have double-wall flu vents, those type things. Right. They're using PVC. They're right. also extremely energy efficient in how they burn uh, the the fuel and how they reclaim heat. Secondly, on the cooling side, in 89, you were probably looking at a sear on that unit, an SEER rating that was 10 or under. Right. And today, the rating on most common equipment, I think the mandate in most listing areas by code, is going to be around 14, 13 or okay. 14. And you're going to find most equipment is going to be up in the 15, 16 sear range, extremely energy efficient compared to that. So what I would tell you is both on your heating and your cooling side, you will see new equipment pay for itself over the course of probably two or three years, you may get the cost of one of those units back in just energy savings. Okay, because I know the one unit for the propane, we were looking at a, a York unit, which uh, they claim was 95% efficient, and they said that the one, our old one, was probably somewhere around 80. 80 would have been standard for that time period, correct. Okay. And so, again, just looking at fuel costs, when you're paying $2 a gallon, $5 a gallon, wherever we're going to be with it, uh, compared to not spending the money for a new one. If I had equipment that old, I would be looking at two things. One, at 20 years, 19, 20 years, you're beyond the typical life expectancy of that equipment. You're going to have right. some maintenance problems with it sooner or later. And that's going to be expensive. That's going to be expensive because usually when you have the problem is when you need the product or the service to work best, and then you're paying a premium for your labor and, in some cases, for your material. There, right. there are no bargains when it's 18 degrees and you need to have your furnace replaced. You got that right. So, so now, now is the time to be replacing furnaces. And fa- frankly, right now is a good time to be replacing air conditioning because you're not in the middle of August when it's 91 degrees outside. True. So you may find a few bargains as contractors are coming through the spring. They're starting to build up a backlog of work as they go into late spring and summer. You may right. find that manufacturers have some incentives, some rebates out there. And whether you live in in one of these areas, some of our listeners may, check with your power companies. There are public utilities that are offering some energy-saving rebates on certain equipment. Oh, that sounds great. So you put all that on a piece of paper, you get your bids for your equipment. You're going to find now is a very good time to be thinking about replacing heating and cooling equipment as well as other energy-efficient devices. Right. So remember, you've got the potential for a Virginia check back. Uh, a, a check in hand. It's just coming to you. It's not a tax refund for certain equipment that qualifies, and you can go online and reserve that tax or that refund or rebate. And then the federal government on tax credits, as well as potential bargains that are out there from suppliers and subcontractors, and also perhaps rebates from power companies. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and good luck to you. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Charles, we do appreciate your call. And, you know, Ken, that's one of the more consistent questions that we do get. That's that big decision. Do we replace it or do we cross our fingers and try to hold on a little bit longer? One of the things I encourage folks to do is look at the major appliances, and we'll call an HVAC unit an appliance of your home, and set aside some money each year. And I know this is hard to do, but especially as they develop a little age on them, let's say they're five, six, seven, eight years old, you know they have a life cycle. Typically, as we said, you get 15 years, you have your money's worth out of it. 
So he had 20 years, 19, 20 years. He got more than his money's worth out of it. So I think we need to be prepared as any equipment around our home, hot water heater, so forth, ages, whether it's psychologically or financially, to set some money aside and to deal with this. It's always, always better to deal with it on your terms rather than when it's ready to go because you have opportunity to do it at your pace, to secure necessary bids, to do a little bit of bargaining, some shopping around, and to do some research on the technology of the day and what you want to have installed. When you do it in an emergency situation that you're completely out of heat because the hot water heater has failed, you have no indoor heat or cooling for that HVAC unit, in any cases, you're going to pay a huge premium, and that's just not right. So if you take the time to be prepared both financially and by doing your research, you're going to do yourself and your family a favor by spending the least amount of money for the best available product for the way you live in your home. And I think that's where we should all be. It is hard for us to do. It's a discipline, but we need to recognize these things are going to break at some point. Well, and, and you also made a point when you were talking with Charles there moments ago that if you can pick the time of year, you can actually save you money because there are times of the year when a lot of these contractors are looking for work. And that's part of the bargain hunting is just the cycle, the product, the technology, and then having greater knowledge of it rather than saying, I need a new HVAC unit. I don't know what I need. Please come fix it. Here's my money. You don't want to be there. Yeah, and you find yourself stacked up on a Sunday afternoon in August when it's 100-plus degrees. That's not a situation you want to be in. And you got 30 people coming to the house for dinner. Uh, in my case, I'm only worried about me. I don't care about them. <laughs> I know. You want to be comfortable, I don't but it's s- about you. I don't want to sweat my tail <laughs> off in that case. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here answering the questions that are important to you today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken either through our website at kenthecontractor.com or at 800-614-2975. Your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do we know? Because for nearly two decades at Consolidated Credit, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel like you'll never be able to pay them off, don't wait. Pick up the phone now and find out what the Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning. But you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. 800-572-1516, You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. Along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Britt. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. Or you can email your question to the website, KenTheContractor.com. And that's exactly what Calvert has done. Calvert listens to us on WIZM 1410 AM in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And Calvert, we appreciate your question. You're telling me that you're constructing a small addition on the back of the house. You're also, like most of us, say, I'm on a tight budget. The electrician asked me if I want to use aluminum wire instead of copper to save money. Now, you go on to say here that you've also been told that there have been issues with aluminum wire in the past. Is this the right area to reduce cost? Calvert, I'm glad you asked the question. I'm going to tell you the short and simple is this is the wrong area to reduce cost in my experience and in my professional opinion. I would never, under any circumstances, use aluminum wire for secondary distribution within a home or an office building for that matter. 
what the industry discovered back in the 70s were too many problems, and you've heard about some of these, it sounds like, became realities. The possibility of electrical shorts occurring on switches and outlets, wires overheating because aluminum conducts electricity and heat or the heat from it at a different rate. It creates it at a different rate than copper does. The expansion and contraction of aluminum versus copper is much greater. That has a tendency to cause connections on your outlets and switches to come loose, even if they're the type today that just poke in the back. They heat, they expand, they shrink, they contract, and then they pop loose. These are some of the issues. But bigger issues had to do with the even the electrical services, which it's still not uncommon to use aluminum on electrical services today, but it can be a problem if you're not using compression lugs. So the bottom line is I would stay with copper. Find some other areas to tighten your budget, but use copper wiring on whatever you're doing as far as your primary distribution switches, outlets, and service. Let's go to the phone lines right now, Ken. And joining us right now is Charles at 800-614-2975. Charles, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hello. How you all doing today? Good. Good day. How are you? Fine. I have a question. That, okay. uh We purchased an older house that was built in 59, and it has a propane furnace, and also uh, the AC unit sets outside. And these, both of these units were, uh, built in 1989. Okay. And we were thinking about replacing them. I know the AC unit is a three ton and the, uh, propane furnace, gas furnace is 120,000 BTU. And I was just wondering if it'd be cost effective to go ahead and replace those. Well, I tell you, you're going to spend some money on the front side, but coming from 1989, this equipment, is like the computer technology. It's, it's antiquated even if it works as far as energy efficiency goes. Right. And you'll find today when you look at the high cost of your propane fuel, especially that if you're going to replace this with a, a high efficiency unit, which yeah. will be a 90% plus efficiency unit, that one, you don't have to have double wall flue vents, those type things. Right. They're using PVC. They're right. also extremely energy efficient in how they burn uh, the the fuel and how they reclaim heat. Secondly, on the cooling side, in '89 you were probably looking at a sear on that unit, an SEER rating that was 10 or under. Right. And today the rating on most common equipment, I think the mandate in most listing areas by code is going to be around 14, 13 or okay. 14. And you're going to find most equipment is going to be up in the 15, 16 sear range. Extremely energy efficient compared to that. So what I would tell you is both on your heating and your cooling side, you will see new equipment pay for itself over the course of probably two or three years. You may get the cost of one of those units back in just energy savings. Okay, because I know the one unit for the propane, we were looking at a, a York unit, which uh, they claim was 95% efficient, and they said that the one, our old one, was probably somewhere around 80. 80 would have been standard for that time period, correct. Okay. And so, again, just looking at fuel costs, when you're paying $2 a gallon, $5 a gallon, wherever we're going to be with it, uh, compared to not spending the money for a new one. If I had equipment that old, I would be looking at two things. One, at 20 years, 19, 20 years, you're beyond the typical life expectancy of that equipment. You're going to have right. some maintenance problems with it sooner or later. And that's going to be expensive. That's going to be expensive because usually when you have the problem is when you need the product or the service to work best, and then you're paying a premium for your labor and, in some cases, for your material. 
There, right. there are no bargains when it's 18 degrees and you need to have your furnace replaced. You got that right. So, so now, now is the time to be replacing furnaces. And fa- frankly, right now is a good time to be replacing air conditioning because you're not in the middle of August when it's 91 degrees outside. True. So you may find a few bargains as contractors are coming through the spring. They're starting to build up a backlog of work as they go into late spring and summer. You may right. find that manufacturers have some incentives, some rebates out there. And whether you live in, in one of these areas, some of our listeners may, check with your power companies. There are public utilities that are offering some energy-saving rebates on certain equipment. Oh, well, that sounds great. So you put all that on a piece of paper, you get your bids for your equipment. You're going to find now is a very good time to be thinking about replacing heating and cooling equipment as well as other energy-efficient devices. Right. So well, remember, you, you've got the potential for a Virginia check back. A, a, a check in hand. It's just coming to you. It's not a tax refund for certain equipment that qualifies, and you can go online and reserve that tax or that refund or rebate. And then the federal government on tax credits, as well as potential bargains that are out there from suppliers and subcontractors, and also perhaps rebates from power companies. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and good luck no. to you. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Charles, we do appreciate your call. And, you know, Ken, that's one of the more consistent questions that we do get. That's that big decision. Do we replace it or do we cross our fingers and try to hold on a little bit longer? One of the things I encourage folks to do is look at the major appliances, and we'll call an HVAC unit an appliance of your home, and set aside some money each year. And I know this is hard to do, but especially as they develop a little age on them, let's say they're five, six, seven, eight years old, you know they have a life cycle. Typically, as we said, you get 15 years, you have your money's worth out of it. So he had 20 years, 19, 20 years, he got more than his money's worth out of it. So I think we need to be prepared as any equipment around our home, hot water heater, so forth, ages, whether it's psychologically or financially, to set some money aside and to deal with this. It's always, always better to deal with it on your terms rather than when it's ready to go because you have opportunity to do it at your pace, to secure necessary bids, to do a little bit of bargaining, some shopping around, and to do some research on the technology of the day and what you want to have installed. When you do it in an emergency situation that you're completely out of heat because the hot water heater has failed, you have no indoor heat or cooling for that HVAC unit, in any cases, you're going to pay a huge premium, and that's just not right. So if you take the time to be prepared both financially and by doing your research, you're going to do yourself and your family a favor by spending the least amount of money for the best available product for the way you live in your home. And I think that's where we should all be. It is hard for us to do. It's a discipline, but we need to recognize these things are going to break at some point. Well, and, and you also made a point when you were talking with Charles there moments ago that if you can pick the time of year – you can actually save you money because there are times of the year when a lot of these contractors are looking for work. And that's part of the bargain hunting is just the cycle, the product, the technology, and then having greater knowledge of it rather than saying, I need a new HVAC unit. I don't know what I need. Please come fix it. Here's my money. You don't want to be there. Yeah, and you find yourself stacked up on a Sunday afternoon in August when it's 100-plus degrees. That's not a situation you want to be in. And you got 30 people coming to the house for dinner. Uh, in my case, I'm only worried about me. I don't care about them. <laughs> I know. You want to be comfortable, I don't but it's sweat, about you. I don't want to sweat my <laughs> tail off in that case. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here answering the questions that are important to you at today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken either through our website at KenTheContractor.com or at 800-614-2975. Your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do we know? 
Because for nearly two decades at Consolidated Credit, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel like you'll never be able to pay them off, don't wait. Pick up the phone now and find out what the Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning. But you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. 800-572-1516. 800 Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Have a question about your home inside or out? You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him questions to KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's uh, edition of In the News. Weekly, Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. And this week's news may be a great surprise to you, but it clearly can have an impact on your pocketbook, especially if you're in the process of buying land to construct a home or have one under construction or looking for a development nearby to have that new dream house constructed. A recent national study by Metro Study uh, across this nation has basically categorized or inventoried the amount of building lots that are available. Now, this means developers have acquired land in years past. They've put in the infrastructure, the sewer, the water, the roads, the stop signs. It's ready to put houses on. And so this group has taken it upon themselves to create this database nationwide. What they've determined is that the we are getting feedback from the builders across this nation that seems contradictory, and they have determined why. In some parts of the country, builders are saying, we don't have enough lots available based on the demand. Not that the market is that hot right now, but the fact that the lots, in many cases, have been absorbed over the period of this recession. Builders are complaining of a lot shortage in so many markets, but despite this, we are finding from this survey that there's almost a five-year supply of readily available lots coast to coast. So what's the contradiction, and where does it affect you? It has to do with the location of the lots. Part of what we're seeing is that during this recession, that as the economy has changed, the job market has changed, the distance to jobs have changed, many developments that were put in years ago are considered somewhat remote now from the hub of job centers, meaning they may be 20 miles from the main metro area. We're finding that builders and homeowners have no interest in being there. They are classifying lots anywhere from an A to an F, A, B, C, D, E, and F. What they're finding is that the A and B lots, those closest to the job centers, those are in highest demand by those of us being relocated or looking to build something new, are extremely limited. There's only about a year and a half supply of those lots. And folks, in today's world, it can take anywhere from two to five years for a new development to come online and actually have lots available ready to put the house on because of all the permitting, the engineering, the environmental things that are, the developers are dealing with. So don't be surprised. If you're out there being transferred to a new city, a new county, a new part of the country, and you're looking for a lot and you're hearing builders say, we have a lot shortage here, prices are going through the roof, and you're saying, we just came from a place with land running out of our ears and empty subdivisions, 
It's about the quality of the lot. It's about where it's located, the proximity to the job center, where you and your peers want to be that's driving that lot price. So you are hearing both accurately. One, there is a shortage, and two, there is a glut. Now you understand how that can occur. And is that the reason why we're seeing properties being purchased, in some cases housing developments, leveled to build new homes on top of the older ones? Location, location, location. The value is in the land, not in the 80-year-old apartment complex or houses that may be there. Let's go to the phones right now. Just Ruth, who's ready to join us. She's got a question for Ken. Ruth, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, thank you for my, taking my call. Sure. First off, I'll qualify myself. I'm an older lady and I'm widowed, so I have an issue that I need your direction on how to find someone, maybe to repair it if I need it. I get water in my basement when we have heavy rain, and then I've noticed recently a zigzag crack uh, in the stucco, which is over cinder block. So I think I would be looking for someone maybe to check out the foundation also. Is the water coming through a coming up out of the slab through a floor drain or between the slab and the wall, or can you actually see it coming I, I through think these cracks? I, I believe it's coming up from the slab and the wall. You know, it, it, you know that's what I think it's doing. From what I can see, and when I feel it, I don't feel it on the wall as much as it's down at the. Uh, base of the slab and the cinder block. Okay, and about how old is your home? I would say 45 years old. Okay. Do you know if it has a functional drain uh, pipe or drain tile system around I, the basement I, and foundation? I do not. I've only owned the home uh, five years. I just moved back in the area and I found a little home. It's just a modest rancher. And uh, I've done some work to it and everything. And I, But this has me concerned. And uh, did you have problems during the winter, though, just with snow melt? I did not. Okay. So it's usually the hard rainfalls where you're seeing this show up in a modest rainfall or just the normal snow melt? That's correct. Okay. The fact that you didn't build a home and you really don't know what you have, one of the first things I'd suggest, and it could be quite simple, something that you may check on your own if you're comfortable with this, is simply take a walk around the house or into the yard and see if you see any uh, uh, depressed areas adjacent to the home that look like it may be a drain discharge that could have silted in with uh, with cut grass, with leaves, those type things. Okay. If the home is only 40 years or so in age, then it probably has some type of a footing or basement drain installed. Okay. And the problem that we see uh, frequently, and uh, I get calls about, uh, are, are these drain systems that are completely clogged and they can no longer do their job. They may still be collecting the water, but they can't discharge the water, especially in a heavy rain, when we may have an extremely heavy downpour, not just the, the light, moderate rains that may uh, you know, occur even all day on occasion. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I think you can do and save yourself some money and pay attention yourself that, if I've got a drain out there, it may simply take a, a hoe or something along those lines to pull the debris out the end and allow the water to drain. Okay. Now, the, the other item that I'd ask you to pay uh, attention to is where the water is coming from uh, the next time this occurs uh, and go down into the basement and see if it's coming up in a particular location around the floor slab. You said you think it's coming up around the perimeter of the slab adjacent to the wall. That's correct. And that would typically be an indication that either there is a drain that is clogged or there is no drain at all. Okay. And that's why I give you those two points to look at. And uh, if you can determine that, then you have a point perhaps of, of origin to start talking to somebody about. You can identify, look, I've had water. We get rains, uh, the, it, torrential downpours for 30 minutes. Uh, we don't have a problem when it rains lightly all day. 
but that will give them a heads up on where to look. Um, they may look at the outside and determine that uh, there are some pipes that are loose. Perhaps there were uh, drains from the gutter system, the downspout system, if you have one, that has broken, that's dumping water directly on that wall area where it's leaking. So you have a concentrated water flow that's not getting into that drain. So there are a lot of possibilities here, and uh, really you don't want to hear, I guess, all of the technical side of it, but what I'm letting you know is it may not be complex or expensive. Your worst-case scenario is that you don't have a footing drain, that you do have a crack in the basement wall, which would indicate to me that uh, there there is some water pressure. The earth is moving laterally against that wall, and I, I, this may not be severe, but you need to eliminate the water pressure. So you may have to have a foundation waterproofing company come out and excavate this section, waterproof it, and then work on the existing footing drain or install a new footing drain. That would be your best scenario to your worst scenario. Okay, thank you for your help. Well, pay attention to some of those items yourself, and if we can help later, give us a call. Thanks again. Okay, take care. Bye. Mm Thank you, Ruth. And don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. And can we always mention, the water in the basement is not something you want to ignore. Hmm. It is not. It never heals itself, and it will continue to cause problems long-term. If nothing else, it will cause some health problems for many of you in in developing mold and mildew. So pay attention to the issue that you have, and if you can't fix it yourself, hire a pro to come in and do it. The problem, again, may be very simple, but you're dealing with something that could become a huge issue for you inside the home. If you've got a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, you can email those questions to our website, and that website is kenthecontractor.com, or you can reach Ken at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here to answer your questions. Questions about your home, inside or out. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Let's go to the phones right now, and it's Charlie who's ready to join us. Hi, Charlie. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, yeah, I've got a uh, deck we uh, built back here last fall, and I'm wanting, I guess, to preserve it or to treat it, uh, and thinking of whether it'd be better to go with a stain for a couple of years, or, you know, just do something like Thompson's or something like that, that's on the market. Well, I'll tell you, the Thompson's is a good product. It's user-friendly for homeowners to apply. It can be brushed on. It can be sprayed on. It can be rolled on. And there are numerous other brand-name products that are equally as effective in preserving uh, our, our wood decks and rails and so forth. But most of those are water-based, and they have a tendency to last only one to two years, if that. Depends on how much sunlight they get, what they're exposed to, and how much use they have. And my personal experience has been to look at putting a stain, now not a surface stain, but a penetrating stain, one that actually gets into the wood, and to seal that initially to be sure all the edges are sealed. Everything is, is at that point, relatively watertight. It's a little bit like putting a wax on your car to preserve the paint finish. Now, over time, then a product like a Thompson's clear waterproofing or clear water seal is good to top that off. But you need to be sure that those products are compatible because not every stain is compatible with the surface-applied clear waterproofing agent. So that's the only thing I would caution you or others about. But long-term, I've seen that perform quite well. So a 
penetrating stain. Yeah, and, and that's different. A When you look at a stain that is, and when we refer to stain, I don't know that you or most of us really think too much about it, but there are stains that tend to be more like a paint that are somewhat solid in nature and they don't have a lot of penetration into the wood grain itself. Then there are others that do not have as many solids in it. It's going to allow, allow a lot of that wood grain to actually come through and show. You can just paint this stuff on or just sponge it on or something? It, it can brush on or it can be sprayed on, absolutely. But it, that tends to change the color. If nothing else, is going to enhance the color of that pressure-treated material some. If you're looking to preserve just the natural wood tone, a clear sealer, and I believe Cabot's and some others make a clear stain, a penetrating stain also, would allow that wood grain to come through. Now, even a clear sealer is going to enhance the color of the wood. So if you're saying it's dark now, I don't want to really see some of these streaks stand out anymore, that's going to occur when you put a clear sealer or a clear stain on it. Yeah, I believe somebody recommended something like the honey pine or something like that. And, of course, that's your option. You have so many different colors, whether it's a stain or whether it's a paint. And the other thing that I would caution you about, you said you put this deck in last year? Uh, yes is to be sure that it has thoroughly cured, meaning that much of that moisture from the materials have come out of it. You also don't want to be sealing or staining right after several heavy rains because you want it to be as dry as possible. Now, pressure-treated material carries an awful lot of water in it when it's first installed. And so it, in some cases, it may take it a year or more for that to completely come out, especially if it's on the shady side of your house. Is there any way I could test that, I mean, with a moisture content in that wood? Well, a lot of the paint stores may rent some, if you're good friends with them, may loan you a moisture meter that you can use to actually check the moisture content. But a pretty good rule of thumb to see how wet materials are is if you're driving a nail in it and the moisture is hitting you in the face, you know, it's popping out around that nail. It is, yeah. It's way too wet. Right. Well, can you recommend a, uh, a brand of stain that may be in, like, one of these big boxes? Most of the brands, I'll tell you, in my experience, that the big box stores carry – will work for what you're trying to do, but you need to ask the questions and provide them with information that I'm looking for something that I don't mind redoing or, or resealing, let's say, every one to two years, or I'm looking for a product that I can put down, and it's going to be good for five years. I want something that will penetrate the wood, not just sit on the surface like a paint does. And then you have to tell them you know, what you're looking to see in terms of the final color. The other thing that you have to throw in the mix, as I said, is if you intend to keep this sealed with a clear spray-on waterproofing agent, then you want to let them know that now I also need a stain that's compatible with this so that I can spray this on every one, two, three years, keep it looking pristine, and not have a problem with these things being compatible. You don't want to put a clear waterproofing on the top of it and see it just curl up. Well, so you, you need to ask those questions. But also, again, in my experience, you may find a greater level of expertise or information on unique stains at some of the paint supply stores, not just the big box stores where they may be carrying multiple brands. I take nothing away from them, but I'm saying when you walk into a paint store, that is all they sell. That is what they are experts in, and you may find folks that can offer a little more direction or advice based on the questions you give them. And even as a professional, sometimes we have unique situations, and I'll go to the paint professionals and say, haven't run into this in 30 years, but I've got this situation, I have these elements coming into play, and I, this needs to perform for at least this period of time. Let's look at the products and the technical data sheets, and let's see what the best recommendation is. Great. Sounds great. Appreciate
appreciate your time and your show. We appreciate you listening, and thank you for the call. Don't forget, if you do have a question for Ked, you can always reach him in our contact number. Again, that number, 800-614-2975. Time now for our green building segment. And it doesn't get much greener than this today. This is really an answer to many of you that say, where do I turn to have some basic knowledge about green building? But I'm not ready to build a new home. I'm looking to renovate or or do some an addition on the house. Where can I get the information that allows me to be knowledgeable enough to communicate with a green building contractor? Well, I want to tell you that it's just been released, the new National Green Building Standards. And you're going to find this available. This is a book, about about 196, maybe 200 pages. And it is available from Builder Books or through NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders. And I share this with you folks because this is one of the many books that contractors that specialize in green building turn to. This really is a guide. It features a separate chapter for remodeling this year, which it has not had in the past. You've really had to pull segments out if you were going to do remodeling versus just new construction. It also deals specifically with small projects such as kitchen and bathroom remodels. And then now they have really their own pathway and a rating system to say that while your whole house may not be certified green, you can do so with a kitchen or bath. So if you're really into green building and you or somebody in your family is thinking about this in the near future, this book may be for you, the National Green Building Standard. It's about 200 pages, 35.95 available through the National Association of Home Builders. Would be good for just a moment to bring up one point, and that is because green building now has become a buzzword, because it's become something that people are starting to seek out. Uh, I know we, we talk quite a bit about this with uh, Aaron Yoder, our mailbag editor, who's very big into this, and that is make sure whoever you're dealing with who tells you they're a green builder, that they actually are a green builder, because we've heard some horror stories of people who said, hey, we're building your new house, and we're, we're bringing all these green building elements in. You later find out that they really didn't, so you won't get any of the benefits. And this particular book really describes that in some detail so it puts you on the same track with a certified builder and that's one of the things that Aaron and I talk about be sure they are a certified green builder not just someone that's bringing in some energy saving appliances which is great but that doesn't make them a certified builder. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website kenthecontractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.